welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. If I could ask you to stand for our scripture reading, it's very short. It's from Titus, New Testament book of Titus, starts in chapter 3. It should be in your, uh, under the scripture part of your app if you want to follow along. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. This was the Apostle Paul writing to what amounted to a leader in this particular area, and, and, but it extends out, it, many times in the book he extends out and is speaking to the people who will be hearing this book read. So Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's such a good passage on the heels of a presidential election. It just says things very clearly, very succinctly about how to respond on the heels of an election. It's a good passage in the midst of a nationwide conflict and division, a sustained, uh, long-standing conflict, division, and tension in our country. This is a fantastic passage to let it wash over us and shape how we are and how we think and how we respond to the conflict and to the tension. And it is a great passage for us to think about as we near the end of our series that we called Conversions, where we've been talking about areas of life where Christians need ongoing conversion, where Christians need to be born again and again and again, as we have put it. Well, this past week, I had to go to the Kaiser Hospital in South Sacramento, and I am not much of a fan of hospitals. I know they are crucial. I know the work that happens there is vital. I value the work that happens there. But maybe like some of you, the whole medical thing, hospital thing, I find it cold. I find it intimidating. I don't want to be there. I get nervous as all get out when I just drive past a medical facility. It's a scary place. Outside of those who work at a hospital, not too many people, at least I don't think, choose to visit the hospital. Not too many people spend their day off, for example, wandering the halls of the hospital and lunching in the cafeteria. And especially now, with all of the COVID protocols, hospitals can even be more foreboding. So I went to the Kaiser Hospital in South Sacramento the other day, and I walked up to the entrance and told the woman at the door why I was there. It's kind of a fortress mentality these days if you've been to a hospital or medical facility. I walked up, I told the woman why I was there, and with the usual nervousness and apprehension, I entered the facility and headed straight for the pharmacy. But all of a sudden, I was at ease. And I was at ease because I could hear this beautiful piano music playing. It's a strange sound to hear in such a cold and intense place. But on the way to the pharmacy, right in front of me, there was a guy sitting at a piano playing beautiful music. And it had a physical effect on me. It had an emotional 
effect on me. And suddenly this cold and ominous place became warmer and more hopeful and quite literally my anxiety lessened. Right smack in the middle of this intimidating setting, I heard beauty and I heard goodness that changed the setting and maybe more importantly changed me. And as I walked by this guy, I just leaned over to him and said, you're the most important person in this place. And as I continued to the pharmacy, I started thinking about this and it occurred to me that Christian people, those who love God and follow him, are to be the beautiful music in this cold, divided, intimidating, and intense world. The presence of Christians, the words of Christians, the attitude of Christians, the responses of Christians are to have a calming and soothing impact in this difficult and divisive world. And to be more specific in our current situation that we are living in, on the heels of a contentious year culminated by a contentious election season, a year and an election full of fights and name calling and vitriol and acts of racism and violent protests right smack in the middle of all this, Christian people are to be the beautiful music that changes everything, changes the setting. Christian people are to be the beautiful music that impacts those around us. How are we doing at this? Now, there are many ways to be this beautiful music. We could talk about this for a long time. But one way I want to focus on today is to be the beautiful music through gentleness. In the language of our current series, one way we change the world is by being people who are continuing to convert from being harsh to being gentle. Now, if we could do a quick survey somehow, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that a lot of us do not think very highly of gentleness. I hear these things, but I imagine that a number of us see gentleness not as a strength, but as a weakness. We see it as a sign of passivity, as a sign of being soft, as a sign of being unassertive, but we couldn't be more wrong. It is absolutely astounding how much the Bible actually says about the people of God being a gentle presence in this divided and broken world. Our posture in the world, our approach to tense situations, our response to insults and to attacks is to be gentle according to the Bible. But again, is it? Has it been? How are we doing? On the heels of a contentious year culminated by a contentious election season, a year in an election full of fights and name-calling and vitriol and acts of racism and violent protests, have Christian people been the beautiful music that changes the setting and impacts those around us? Let's talk for a bit about ingrained harshness. Think of something ingrained in you. Something you've done so many times you don't have to think about it anymore. You just do it automatically. You don't think about doing it. It is first nature to you. Things like riding a bike, driving a car, maybe the morning routine you go through. You just do it. It's automatic. It's first nature. Certain things are done so many times over such a long period of time, they become ingrained in us. They become embedded in us. 
they become first nature to us. And I would suggest, at least for some of us, harshness has become an ingrained response. So when things don't go our way, or when we don't get what we want, when someone gets in our way or blocks our will, we have trained ourselves over a long period of time to respond harshly. We don't think about this. We don't strategically plan to respond harshly. It is our automatic response. It is our first nature response. When something happens that is not the way we want it to be, we just respond harshly because that's who we are. And this ingrained response of harshness shows up mostly, I think, in our closest relationships. Because in these relationships, our guard is down. And we're just being who we are. We're just being ourselves, as we say. Our first nature, in other words, emerges. It just comes forth without having to think much about it. And I would suggest we have become a culture whose first nature is harshness. And this seems to me like a relatively recent development. I don't have any data to support that. But the harshness quotient, it seems to me, has steadily been rising over the last period of time. And most definitely, social media is one of the reasons why harshness is on the rise. But news outlets like CNN, Fox, MSNBC, obviously they know conflict sells advertising and meanness is marketable, so they use it. But let's bring it down a notch to maybe where we actually live a little bit more. Every day we encounter rising tensions in ordinary life situations. Everyday harshness, everyday hot-headedness, little skirmishes over parking spaces, fist fights between parents at Little League baseball games. One of the common ones happening these days are these intense shouting matches over should we wear a mask or shouldn't we wear a mask? People just seem increasingly unable to handle life when they don't get what they want. And the ingrained first nature harshness is right there at the surface. And I would suggest to you, this is a place of ongoing conversion for Christians. This is a place where if the Spirit of God is doing his work in us, we will find ourselves being born again. We're talking here about everyday life situations that don't go our way, and our first nature response is one of harshness. So we get back, or we get even with the one we feel who has wronged us. We insult, we slander, to use a word in our scripture reading. We attack when our spouse disappoints when someone cuts us off at the on the road, when a checkout line is held up by someone who forgot to get their rhubarb, when the rental car line is moving too slow, when the guy at the pharmacy is taking forever because he doesn't speak English. Our harshness happens without any thought. And we don't think about or examine our response of harshness any more than we think about or examine the starting of our car or getting ready in the morning. Harsh responses have become our first nature. We've trained ourselves over many years and experiences to respond harshly when things don't go our way. I don't know how you feel. I'm not sure your disposition. I'm not here to take a vote. I'm just going to say it out loud. Thank God the election is over. And this long ordeal of name-calling, and acrimony 
maybe for a while, a couple weeks at least, maybe is nearing an end. One of my first seminary professors, a guy named Scott McKnight, this is way back in 1990. He is a fairly popular author and uh, professor these days. He wrote this in a recent blog post. He said, for five years or so, Facebook and Twitter have broiled and boiled and bubbled over. One has to wonder what some of our friends will have to talk about. Well, for 10 weeks or so, it's not going away. But then, what will be the conversation? He goes on, and many feel that now that the Democrats have won and want to talk civility, that such talk is hollow because for five years they have done their fair share of carping and griping and being uncivil. No reason to say, quote, you know who started it, end quote, because the issue is that both sides, both sides have formed into a culture of incivility. This is our culture. And just as we think about this as Christ followers, just hear this. Harshness is not the way of Christ. And again, the Bible is packed with teachings and insights on the wisdom of gentleness. So let's talk about the wisdom of gentleness. It's hard to define gentleness, to, to put words to a, defi to a definition. I'm not sure a definition of it really means that much or matters that much to begin with. But one way to understand gentleness is to think about what it contrasts. Think about what it is contradicting. So gentleness is God's alternative to things like slander, malice, Gentleness is God's alternative to a sudden burst of anger over something. Gentleness is God's alternative to retaliation or this impulse to pay back. Gentleness is God's alternative to hate, to getting even. Gentleness is God's alternative in a disagreement to being louder than the other, to dominating the other, to winning. The argument. Gentleness is God's alternative to harshness and to meanness. Gentleness is the beautiful music playing in a cold, angry, and defensive world. So gentleness is a hard character quality to define, but it's an easy one to recognize when we see it. My son and my daughter now have puppies. And these puppies like to play with Julie's and my dog, Gus our 90-pound English lab. Gus is bigger. Gus is stronger. Gus is far more powerful than Willow, my daughter's puppy, or Greg, my son's puppy. What a great name. Named after Greg Rothenberg, I believe. But when Gus plays with Willow and Greg, it's a beautiful thing to watch. He doesn't assert his obvious power over them. He tones down his strength to accommodate the situation. He doesn't go all out because if he went all out, he would overwhelm them. Willow or Greg jump all over Gus. And what Gus does very often is he falls on his back. And as they are climbing all over him and mouthing at him, Gus just gently paws at them. Every now and then, he'll gently mouth back at them. He gently fends them off. Now, be sure, if they get too big for their britches, Gus lets them know he is able. But he rarely asserts himself beyond their capacity. 
And it is a beautiful picture of power expressed with gentleness. Paul says in our scripture reading, remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good. And then he expands on whatever is good by saying to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. How timely is this? How poignant is this for us to think about? And again, I know a lot of Christians who devalue gentleness because it seems too passive. Christians sometimes feel like in today's culture, they are losing influence, they are losing status, they are losing power, and they feel like, and I suspect some of you feel this way, that gentleness advocates for a doormat philosophy. Let them walk all over you. So the thinking goes, we need to fight back. We need to assert ourselves. We need to retaliate. And I want you to hear this. All of these things are at odds with the biblical teaching on gentleness. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27, Jesus says this, all things have been committed to me by my father. He is saying, I'm the center of it all. I'm the hinge of history. I'm the one who holds all of this together. I am the most powerful one. So he continues, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says this, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So don't miss this. The one to whom all things have been committed, the powerful one, describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. That is who God is. Gentle and humble in heart. See, we don't often connect ideas of power and greatness with gentleness and humility. We don't always link those things. But Jesus does, and the Bible does. Put it this way, Jesus is the king of moral life. He shows us what is morally good. And according to Jesus, gentleness is morally superior to harshness. And that is why we as Christians can and should embody gentleness in this harsh and divided world, because gentle is who God is. And there's an important principle embedded in God's way of gentleness. Again, part of the wisdom of gentleness. The bigger and stronger and more powerful we are, the gentler we should be. This is the brilliance of God's way. Because of who Jesus is, king over all, and because his power is unparalleled and unmatched as displayed in the resurrection, so he is supreme, it's indisputable. And because his power is now available to those who are in Christ and it's now available to his church, we, you, me, we are Gus. We actually are the bigger, the stronger, and the more powerful because God is with us. And the world is willow. The world is is Greg. And so we're to follow Jesus's lead and embody gentleness in the midst of a world 
pulsating with harshness and meanness. I realize in trying to make a poignant point, calling a dog Greg just ruins it. I just hit me as I was saying, and Greg is the world. It's like, boy, the air went out of that. I hope you can see the wisdom of gentleness here. To kind of summarize it, Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. His way in the world was the way of gentleness in the face of conflict and harshness. Jesus never returned insult for insult. It's in Peter's letters if you want to find it. He never attacked or slandered those who were out to get him. He blessed those who persecuted him. He embodied gentleness because God is gentle. So gentleness is Jesus' first nature. So when we are loud and proud and aggressive and harsh, when we're on the attack, when we're lobbing insults and contributing to the vitriol and acrimony, then we are not accurately portraying the one we claim to be following. Our friend Dallas Willard wrote these words in a book called The Allure of Gentleness. He said, the means of our communication needs to be gentle because gentleness also characterizes the subject of our communication. What we are seeking to defend or explain is Jesus himself, who is a gentle, loving shepherd. If we are not gentle in how we present the good news, how will people encounter the gentle and loving Messiah we want to point to? Just imagine for a moment what our lives and relationships would be like with 50% of the harshness. Or say it another way. Imagine what our lives and relationships would be like if we could somehow extract 50% of the harshness? What would a conflict between spouses look like with 50% of the harshness gone? What would driving look like with 50% of the harshness gone? What would a disagreement look like? What, imagine what the political theater would be like if harshness and violence and anger were reduced by 50% and replaced with gentleness. See, gentleness is the beautiful piano music in a cold and an intimidating and intense world. And yet, sometimes Christians downgrade and downplay it. But the Bible says over and over again, when we embody gentleness in the face of division and conflict and violence and disagreement, we demonstrate to the world who God actually is and the alternative way he invites us to live. Jesus is king and master of the moral life. So his way is best, his way is good, his way is right, which is why the Apostle Paul says things like this in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. There it is again. The presence and the power of God are connected with the gentleness of his people. In Peter's first letter, he tells his readers to always be ready to tell whomever might ask the reason for your hope. Why, in the midst of a cold and divisive and difficult world where things don't go our way, why you still have hope? Peter says, be ready to answer that. And then he says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. We could go on and on. It's all over the scripture, and it's all over the life of Jesus, engaging and interacting with others who are different and who disagree with gentleness. So let's talk about practicing gentleness. 
Again, our scripture reading. Remind the people to always be gentle toward everyone. Everyone includes everyone. Family. Remind the people to always be gentle toward family. Remind the people to always be gentle toward friends. Remind the people to always be gentle toward everyone, and everyone includes our enemies, our opponents. Remind the people to be gentle toward everyone, and everyone includes those who believe, look, act, vote, or think differently than we do. Another way to say all this, there's a way to live missionally, show who God is, simply by living gently. Now that this election is over, here's my opinion. Christians should have a nationwide season of confession and repentance because we have not been gentle toward those who think, believe, vote, look, or act different than we do. In fact, we have utilized what Paul calls the weapons of this world. We have been harsh. We have been mean. We have been angry. We have slandered. We have name called. And we have just done a poor job of demonstrating the goodness and the kindness and the gentleness of our king. And we should confess it. And we should repent of it. So we come back to this idea of conversion, this idea of changing. This idea of not being the same we have been, as we have been, but being born again in how we interact with others. Converting from being harsh to being gentle. And conversion does not just happen. By definition, our first nature, in this case harshness, needs to be retrained. Transformed is the biblical word. It needs to be reprogrammed, if you will. So we become the kind of people whose first nature, first instinct, first impulse is to respond to conflict, respond to division, respond to insults with gentleness. I want you to think about that. We talk about conversion. I don't care what level you want to talk about it. A relationship with strangers, on social media, as you watch the news, whatever it is. You talk about conversion in this area. What we're talking about is becoming the kind of people whose first nature is to respond to conflict, to division, to insults with gentleness. See, conversion means we become people for whom gentleness is like driving a car or riding a bike or fulfilling a morning routine. Gentleness becomes our first nature. We don't even think about it. We don't have to think about it. We would no more choose harshness than we would put our key into the tire of our car. What? That's not going to do anything. Hey, you get in the car, you put the key in the thing, you turn it. We know how to do that. It's our first nature. We don't have to think about it. Can you imagine that? Now, again, you're hearing this from me. I, I'm sure. In fact, I know. You know, my first, the first impression I leave with people is not, gee, he's a gentle guy. That's not exactly the first impression. But can you imagine this? If gentleness had become so ingrained, it was like starting a car. It was like getting on a bike. 
You don't have to think about it. It's become who you are. Well, you know and I know that in order for this to happen, the Holy Spirit of the living God has to bring his power to bear in the particulars of our lives so that harshness is changed to gentleness. And our part in that ordeal is to practice, to put forth effort, to engage in training so our first nature converts from being harsh to being gentle. So I have two specifics that might help us get going or try this sort of practicing of gentleness. And I would encourage you to test out the wisdom of God here. What does that mean? It means try this and see if this is better or worse than bursts of anger, than harshness, than division, and out of control conflict. Just see if when it's all said and done, you and the other are not better off after practicing gentleness. So two verses that provide a lifetime of action you can engage in if this is something that you feel like you need. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, there's a phrase in there, clothe yourselves with gentleness. We're back to our morning routine. Get up in the morning, do this, do that, do the other thing. Eventually, you put your clothes on. I don't think too many of you today sat down and thought, let's see, how do I get these pants on? Oh yeah, let me look that up. Put that leg in there. No, you didn't do that. You just know how to do it. Clothe yourselves with gentleness. Imagine you wake up every morning and you put on gentleness just like you put on your clothes and you pray this out. Jesus, I choose your gentleness today no matter what I face. I assure you it's a dangerous and life-altering prayer. That's suggestion one. You take that phrase, clothe yourselves with gentleness, and you simply for a few days or for a while, you imagine putting on gentleness in the morning like you do your normal routine. Here's the second suggestion. It has to do in the setting of conversations that want to turn into conflicts. It's Proverbs 15.1. I think most of us should have this one written down somewhere, maybe even memorized. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in the midst of a conversation that looks like it's headed toward a conflict, bringing a gentle word, bringing a gentle reminder, diffusing the stirred up anger. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I know for myself, maybe it's true with you. I know for me that so many times in my life, and even times this week, I have perpetuated violence, anger, hostility, harshness, have added to the tension My harsh answer has turned away gentleness and stirred up anger. This kind of thing is everywhere these days. But we are called to something better. We are called to something good, morally, ethically good, as defined by God. 
And it's interesting, maybe sometime later you want to read the rest of this, but in our scripture reading, I stopped at verse 2. But if you read verses 3 through 5, they say this, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And here's the key thing. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. The goodness of our God, the kindness of God, he responded to us in our disobedience and defiance and contentious ways. He responded to us with mercy, with gentleness with kindness, with goodness. See, the root of all of this is not self-improvement. The root of all of this is found in who our God is, His greatness. We say that our desire is to become like Jesus. Transformation into his character. His inner life and being, his character formed and developed in us. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That is part of his greatness. His gentleness is part of his greatness. His kindness is part of his greatness. Holy Spirit, in ways that we may not know, form gentleness in us. Form this elusive character quality in us. Help us indeed to be people who choose your alternative way and become people who are gentle like you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.